perhaps something a little lighter, lighter fare this evening from the book of Joshua, chapter 22, and we find something of a a moment of tension in the life of Israel after the eastern tribes settle, Reuben, Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, a bit of what I would call a cultic kerfuffle, something along those lines, that turns out to be something, in fact, good. Uh, Joshua chapter 22, I'll read the entirety of that chapter, and then we'll dwell there for a moment this evening. Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren, as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents. And to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. To love the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. To keep his commandments. To hold fast to him. And to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now remember verse 5 and 6. Now the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses, had given a possession to Bashan, but to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on the side of the Jordan, westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses." And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region of the Jordan, on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to half the tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead, and with him ten rulers, one ruler each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel, and each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. Then they came to the children of Reuben, 
to the children of Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord in that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord in that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord. Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us? from which we are not cleansed till this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. And it shall be, if you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us, by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows. And let Israel itself know if it is rebellion, or if it is in rebellion, or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn away from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. But in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. You have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but, it that, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say that, sorry, when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices, besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. Now when Phinehas the priest... And the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the children of Manasseh spoke. It pleased them. 
Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad. From the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the land to the children of Israel and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel. And the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. As far as the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we would even now ask that you might give to us such a witness, not merely upon earth, but even in the heavenly places where Christ himself stands as the one who brings unity where there was once division, who himself has torn down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, for he is our peace. He stands, not only as the one offered upon that altar, the true sacrifice for sins and sinners, but he by his spirit brings unity among brethren. And how sweet it is when brothers dwell in unity. Lord, that we would look to Christ and his spirit, the one who reminds us of our common share that all who call upon the name of the Lord, rich, poor, male, female, black, white, Lord, wherever we are found, Christ is our peace. And so we come to him even tonight that he might be our teacher in the word. And so instruct us in the way, we pray in his name. Amen. This evening... We come to another instructive text, not only opening up to us ancient, beautiful mysteries of the history of the Old Testament people of God, but also an expression of the validity and at times the need of real, practical authorized helps to remind us of our common share in the inheritance that God has made with one, with all of us as one body. This evening as we come to Joshua 22, we find the tribes, the eastern tribes, two and a half tribes, a smaller division of the whole people of God coming together, establishing a, a heap of stones, an altar, That is to remind not only themselves, but predominantly the larger body, that though they dwell on the east of the Jordan, they are, with the western tribes, co-heirs of the promises of God. This evening I want to look at our text under two headings. The first, the blessing of the eastern tribes, and second, a witness to covenant fellowship. Firstly, 
the blessing of the eastern tribes, and then secondly, a witness to covenant fellowship. Let's look at that first point, Joshua's blessing. An opening verses, verses 1 through 9. Now that the allotments have been made, the wars won, there is remaining work to be done, and God called the tribes to be faithful to that work. Earlier in the book of Joshua, Joshua, upon the instruction of the Lord in chapter 13, divides the land east of the Jordan to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. Now, the qualification, the condition upon receiving the allotment was that though they were not to dwell in Canaan, west of the Jordan, they were nonetheless called to send their fighting men with the other tribes, the other ten, to fight against the the nations that were in the land of Canaan. Now, uh, what we learn is that these tribes were faithful. They did as God instructed. They went to war all together. Now, Israel was at times faithful, at times unfaithful, at times wise, and at times foolish. And I said in that sermon that in a very real way, Israel is not unlike the church in every age. Even our own history as a covenant body is filled with stories of covenant faithfulness, covenant unfaithfulness, of God saying, well done. At times, God saying, I think we can do better next time, of repentance, of all of the drama that goes into God's relationship with sinners such as ourselves. They have kept covenant, though. And in verses 3 through 5, Joshua acknowledges this. Verse 3, you have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but you have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And so they receive their allotment, and they are soon to be sent to the lands that God had given to them. They were told to be careful to heed, to know the law and what it requires. We see this in chapter 5. To love the Lord your God, to walk with the Lord, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, to trust and depend upon him, and to serve the Lord with all your heart. This is a kind of summary of a summary of the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. They were commended. In verse 5, they were charged again. When you go, be careful, love the Lord, walk with him. Hold fast to him. Serve him. And then in verse 6, we see that covenantal blessing. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away. And they went to their tents. Now they, dwelling in a land that is separated from the other body, the predominant, the larger group of Israelites in the land of Israel, felt as though there would come a time the years that were to come, that they would feel the division of a sort of geographical border, like the Jordan. They inherited lands and riches. We see this, as I said earlier in chapter 13. And they went with great wealth as part of the blessing. We see that in verse 8. And he spoke to them, that is Joshua, saying to them, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. 
Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. Now, not too long ago, uh, we had a sweet and dear couple, Mike and Debbie Cloy, leave us to labor in a different congregation of the OPC, a mission work, west of here in the mountains. Beautiful place, but separate. And the gift that we gave them as they were departing from us, do you remember? Was a a watercolor of this very building. That building serves as a reminder to them of the fellowship they have with us. And though they are there, I think we can say that the memories that we have of them will never leave us. And just because they are laboring an hour, hour and a half away, we count them as part of our body. And what serves as that reminder? Well, it is the watercolor that hangs in their house. I would assume it's hanging somewhere that reminds them that we are still brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Now, that water painting is not 203 Rhine Oakland Road. It is a facsimile of the sanctuary, the church house, where we gather for worship every Sunday. In fact, perhaps an even clearer illustration would be if we gave them a copy and we had a copy, and every time we see that copy, what do we remember? We remember the saints who have been part of us before and that we are still in Christ Jesus, one body together. We want to be remembered. We, are desire, we desire, and rightly so, these two and a half tribes, rightly desired to be remembered when the years come and go, that though they are east of the Jordan, they nonetheless have a faithful part, or they are part of the entire body, which is why when they moved east of the Jordan, they built west of the Jordan a facsimile of the altar that stood at the tabernacle. Now they returned to do the work. They endeavored to be faithful. And part of their desire, according to verse 5, be careful, take heed was to help the other tribes remember that they still existed. Because time may come, as we saw great division among many of the tribes in Israel, that it was at times easy for covenant unfaithfulness to slip in. And that already leads me to my second point, a witness to covenant fellowship. Verse 10, when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, half of Manasseh, built a great and impressive altar. Now that altar was not predominantly for themselves. It was for the tribes that they would leave behind. And when they built this altar that was, we'll see in a moment, built with righteous intention and was itself lawful under the law of God, there were those who saw the altar. It was reported to the high priest of Israel. They have done a terrible thing. Now, what is the thing that they did? What did they do? Well, they built another altar. 
This would be tantamount to the promotion of another gospel. It would be as though the Israelites had said, it is not in the altar that God authorized, that the Levites themselves took care of, but another altar. It would not be unlike the occasion in which Jesus is conversing with the woman of the well at the well in the Gospel of John, and she asks the question, is it the temple in Samaria or is it in the temple of Jerusalem? Well, the easy answer to that was at one time, of course, it is the temple in Jerusalem. It was the only authorized house of God. But Christ was, through his death, burial, and resurrection, about to upend that entire model altogether. But the kerfuffle, the disagreement, the opportunity for war here, as we see in verse 12, when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war. Why were they going to war? Because they had seen what happened when sin was introduced into the camp. You might call this a kind of hardcore church discipline. Israel was coming to these two and a half tribes and saying, if you are doing what it appears that you are doing, we will bring a threat of war against you in order to bring holiness, to preserve our people as holy. And their fear was warranted. We know from Numbers chapter 25 I believe that is correct, where there were those Israelites who began to worship Baal, and it brought great harm against the tribe of Israel or the nation of Israel. Many were put to death by God. Israel wanted to avoid another one of those kinds of situations, or when Achan stole the things, the holy things that were to be devoted to God. And he and his family were all stoned. And Israel experienced loss by the kingdom or the nation of Ai. Israel did not want to go through this again. They had learned to fear God. In fact, that is what we see in Joshua chapter 22. Both the western and eastern tribes had learned to fear God. And they had been effectually instructed by the Lord through Joshua how to walk in covenant faithfulness with him. And so they asked the question, but that you must turn away from this, or verse 18, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. And it shall be if you rebel today against the Lord that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. It is right... For Israel to suspect that this altar would be another place, an unauthorized location where sacrifices would be made. Now, there is but one altar. God had made this very clear. And not only was there only one altar, but there was only one way to offer sacrifices. In fact, there are others in the Old Testament who were struck dead for offering strange fire. Sons of Eli were struck dread for even that same sin. And so when Israel comes to them 
And Phineas, the high priest at that time, confronts them. In verse 21, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh are given an opportunity to explain themselves. If the error is real, then the danger is real. This accusation of treachery was real, and so was the potential sin of it. What is commendable concerning the western tribes is their willingness to purge the evil from their midst, if in fact it was there. In fact, perhaps this is a lesson even to the church today. The strange fire, the promotion of another gospel, and oftentimes what happens within the church is men are too polite or too cowardly or they are unwilling to stir the pot and go to war concerning the things that matter. What we learn is that the saints of God, in order to be faithful to his covenant promises, ought to be jealous for the right worship of God. And that same sort of jealousy should continue today. We should be jealous for the right worship of God, namely, who we believe to be the sacrifice for sinners. And any church that removes from the center Christ and him crucified is in guilt or is guilty of violating this great principle, really the whole first table of the law of God, and is in great danger of forfeiting their souls. What I am saying is that this is a warranted confrontation And this confrontation brings to light the truth. So what is the truth? It is first, the children say, a witness to the perpetual bond of all the tribes. This is not an alternative altar. They were not seeking to erect another holy place. But they were instead trying to show Israel, guys, we're over here. Don't forget us. Don't exclude us. We are co-heirs in the promises of God. Now, we may say, well, what is a modern-day correlate to this? Well, Sundays we open this bulletin, and on the bulletin there is printed, Home Missions Today, sometimes it's Telenews. Our own Elder Grigg prayed this evening for missionaries in China. These are very simple ways to remind the saints, hey guys, don't forget, there are saints across the globe who gather for worship in the name of Christ Jesus and they are co-heirs of the promises of God. And just just because they speak another language... They meet in maybe different kinds of structures. They sing in other tongues. We are joined together under the same promise. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. In fact, the one who is sent into the world to alleviate this very problem is none other than God the Holy Spirit. But God the Holy Spirit is the manifestation, and I don't mean impersonal manifestation. But he is the one sent into the world that testifies to our hearts that we are now through Christ Jesus not just 
a group of tribes on one side of the Jordan and another group of tribes on the other side of the Jordan, but a whole collection of every tribe, tongue, and nation kinds of tribes that are all joined together under one banner. And that is the banner of the altar of the provision for the sacrifice or for the salvation of our sins. There is but one altar that can unite us. What do you think this building is? It is a facsimile. It is a facsimile of the house of God itself. But you and I, when we walk into this room, we do not think for one moment that this is heaven itself. But it is heavenly, isn't it? For it is filled with the very same things that heaven itself is filled with. Worshippers, the presence of Almighty God. It sits as a reminder of our fellowship with the one who redeemed us and with one another. That is one of the reasons we gather. So that we do not forget. In fact, the easiest way to forget the bonds of spiritual covenant brotherhood is to cease to gather together for worship. And in fact, the church in many lands experienced that kind of tearing of community, that fabric of the community, when there were uh, those who said, you ought not gather for worship. It is not safe, but at the expense of what? The expense of our identity as those who are united to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. What Calvin says is they therefore consult timelessly for their posterity. They're remembering their children. That they may be able by means of the altar as a kind of public document to defend their right. That they may mutually recognize each other and unite in common in serving God. One God. This wasn't for themselves in the moment. It was for their posterity. They were erecting an altar, not upon which sacrifices would be made, but so that all of the tribes may look together and say, we are but one body. Now, a facsimile does not have to be erected. For in fact, even now, as Paul preaches and writes to those in Corinth, what does he say? In order to nurture the bonds of covenant fellowship, what did Paul come preaching? Christ and him crucified. Or when Paul acknowledges the faith of the Thessalonians, he speaks of their faith as so vivid it is though they saw Christ crucified upon the cross. What is that glorious provision of God's covenant faithfulness to us that reminds us of our universal, holy, Catholic, apostolic share in the inheritance that is ours through Christ Jesus? What do we remember? We remember the cross. We remember Christ for us. Now, it is not necessary to wear a cross, In fact, we are called to come to Scripture and to open the Word 
It is through the preaching of God's word that we remember the cross. It is in the fellowship of the saints in which we exalt Christ and him crucified. And this is the primary effectual witness that even now the Holy Spirit nurtures in us to remind us that in the church of Jesus Christ there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no Greek. There is no Hebrew. There is no slave. There is no free. Our identity as Christians, though we are many other things, we may be Jew or Greek, we may be slave or free, we may be man or woman, but our primary identity centers around the existence of the altar. And that is one of the things that we remember when we come together. Look at the bread and wine. Is it the body and blood of Christ? No, it is an authorized facsimile of those things that were broken, that bled for us. And it is a witness, it is a testimony to our eternal union made effective through Christ's blood. What a glorious reminder it is, too. God gives to his saints this glorious reminder that is a picture of the means by which we've actually been brought together. And so it is in the coming of Christ and in the sending out of the Holy Spirit that we can not fear and nurture, even in the generations that are to come, this identity that we are one body together. I have broken bread with saints from other nations. And when we sit and the bread is given... The wine is drunk. What is being communicated to us? Not just the real effectual means of our redemption, but the real effectual means of our redemption that ties us together as one body. It's the same body. It's the same blood. It's not another bread, another wine, which is why we eat and drink together. This is why at many uh, times uh, churches will drink from a common cup. I'm not ready to do that yet, but it is still a common cup. (laughs) We eat and drink together. That is a sign every week throughout the generations that we are one in Christ Jesus. What is Joshua 22 a preview of? It is a preview of the continuing plan of God to bring about reconciliation, not just and unity, not just between 12 tribes, but all the tribes of earth. For how are we united? What will we be united around in, in, in heaven? The glorious throne of Christ. Why Christ? Because he is the sacrifice that has brought peace. Let's pray.